So good morning, everyone. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you're all here and I'm excited about the newcomers gathering today. Um, we're gonna talk about a Psalm, Psalm 42, and a great rebellion, Korah's rebellion from the book of Numbers. So please feel free to post in the chat, even though I might not see the comments until the end. Um, and so as you know, Zoom doesn't work well for um, communal prayer or even group singing. Um, although it's great to have Rachel and Joe together in one screen because that helps. Um, but I think this is really hard for those of us who long to gather as a group in the sanctuary. But when we join together like this, like we are right now from many different places, even all over the country and even the world, um, I believe that God hears the full chorus of our community, even that small, quiet voice from deep within your heart. And I really value the many different um, voices and perspectives that we have at Blue Ocean. Um, so I'm a cisgendered, straight white woman who loves Jesus. Um, but some of the content today is actually inspired by black and queer feminisms, and also by the teachings of one of the most influential Jewish rabbis of the 20th century, the Lubavitcher Reb. So this is kind of like my way of listening to others. Um, with that, let's begin. Psalm 42 is this beautiful psalm of longing to be in God's holy presence by someone who is in exile from God's house. So I wonder if we can identify with these feelings of being in exile from the sanctuary, all of us right now. Um, the first few verses are pretty well known among the Psalms and truly exquisite poetry. Caroline Nelson is gonna paste in the chat and thank you. Um, and I'll read it aloud. This is the NRSV translations. It says, for the director of music, a masculine of the sons of Korah, as a deer cries longingly for streams of water, so does my soul cry longingly to you, oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When will I come and appear before God? My tears were my bread day and night. And it goes on. So people usually focus on the yearning for God and the idyllic scenery in the psalm. With the image of the panting deer and streams of living water comes this appreciation for the natural world. Um, in the Jewish commentary on this verse, the medieval French rabbi Rashi writes, just as a roaring applies to a lion, growling to a bear, lowing to an ox and chirping to the birds, so this expression used for the deer's cry of longing applies to the voice of the deer. So the deer cries out from their particular uniqueness and their particular place among the different creatures. And similarly, the psalmist cries out with their own unique voice from within the communion of all creation. In this way, God hears us when we say, my soul cries out in longing to you. This is a celebration of our differences and the uniqueness of the soul. But unlike our individualistic society, 
that teaches us to elevate ourselves to greatness. Time and again, the oppressed and weary psalmist puts their hope in the Lord. I love this. I relate. And I know that I'm not alone in my longing for God. In the very beginning, the psalm is introduced for the director of music, which is fitting. But it also says the psalm is a masculine of the sons of Korah. So besides it being sons, this caught my attention big time. Korah led a rebellion against Moses in the wilderness. Um, it's this memorable, it's memorable to me because it ends with the earth swallowing them up whole. So this made me wonder, why would Korah's children write this particular song of longing for God? And for that matter, what is a masculine? Um, I have to say that these kinds of questions about the text are a part of my own particular or unique longing for God voice. So I do thank you for bearing with me. Um, so it turns out masco is a Hebrew word of uncertain meaning. They think it could be a literary term related to giving wisdom, or it's a musical term for a song, and it's often used as a song of joy. But here the speaker is in exile. They're weary and oppressed, deep calls to deep, the psalmist says, in verse seven. So my particular longing for God voice wants to know, why? Why are the children of a rebellious leader given the honor of this famous longing for God psalm that imparts wisdom and maybe even joy? So let's explore. Um, like I said, Korah was a notorious Bible character who led a rebellion against Moses, but he was also Moses's first cousin family. They journeyed together out of enslavement in Egypt and through the wilderness. On Mount Sinai, God gave Moses Torah, God's holy teaching for their people, which included instructions on how to build the holiest of holy places where God's presence would dwell among the Jewish people and bless all the nations on earth. Okay, so far so good. But not everyone had the same job. Some were teachers, some were protectors and healers. Some ensured that justice prevailed. Each tribe received its own special blessing and each gave their own unique offerings. The Levite tribe was separated from the rest to perform duties for the Holy Temple. But only Aaron, Moses's older brother and Aaron's children could be high priest. And in this way, all the people work together, giving their own unique gifts to create and support a holy dwelling place for God. They work together much like the human body works together, each part contributing to the whole and each in a different way. So this makes me think of our own times. It seems to me like um, rich CEOs and prominent politicians, they get all the glory. Everybody wants to be like them, maybe, <laughs> maybe not. But it turns out that the most humble jobs in our society, the janitors, bus drivers, um, teachers, aides, child care workers, grocery store attendants, food servers, supply chain workers, 
All of these jobs, these are the most important and valuable jobs for our society. I mean, they keep us going and they keep us alive. So the story goes that Moses's first cousin, Korah, was a very wealthy and prominent leader in the community. He was actually from the most prestigious of all the Levite families. In fact, he was second only to Moses and Aaron. So far, so good, right? But not good enough for Korah. Korah wanted more. So he gathered 250 men to lead a political religious rebellion against Moses and the high priesthood. When they came to oppose Moses and Aaron, they said, and I just want you to carefully listen first before you make a judgment. Korah's rebellion said, you have gone too far. All the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. So why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So Korah argued that God is with the people, everyone, and all are equally holy. I just want us to sit with that because this is a wonderful truth. It's one that I believe in as well. And interestingly enough, this truth, it comes from Moses' teaching that he received from God and in the Bible itself. So hold on. If both Korah and Moses believed that God is among the people and that all the congregation are holy, then the difference between Moses and Korah's rebellion it must have been a very subtle difference indeed. When Moses heard that these words, that all the people are holy and God is among them, so why do you exalt yourself? It says he fell flat on his face. I mean, imagine that. These words, they packed a punch for Moses. He had just liberated his people from a Pharaoh who exalted himself as God. So one can only imagine how Moses felt to be challenged by God's own teachings to him and by his privileged first cousin, no less. So he responds to Korah and the rebellion. He says, is it too little for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to approach him? And, and I left it out, but it says, and to serve the congregation so that you now desire the priesthood as well. And I think there's the clincher. I think that's the crucial twist, the subtle difference between Moses and Korah. At the very root of his rebellion, Korah would erase their differences to make himself high priest. It's as if Korah were a member of the human body, the ear perhaps, and wanted everyone to be the eye so that he could be the eye. But the eye can never say to the ear, I don't need you. And Moses in this way was different from his first cousin. Moses would give his own life for his people. In Numbers 12.3, it says that Moses was a very humble man, more so than any other on the face of the earth. So let's just pause here for a moment um, because I wanna make a note about humility. So a lot is made um, about being humble in the Bible. But I think in English, um, this word has like a debasing quality. 
So true humility, it means that we do not exalt ourselves or puff ourselves up, right? Falsely puff up. But it also means that you don't bash yourself as if you're the worst human being on the planet. That's like falsely bashing yourself, right? So humility is the gracious awareness of who we truly are, no more and no less. It's kind of like saying, I think, um, this is me. I am who I am, so how can I help? In Strong's Hebrew Dictionary, the synonyms for the Hebrew word humility, which is anava, include gentleness, meekness, and help. But in English, I think humility is more often understood as having like too low estimation of oneself. And I definitely reject that. So here we have Moses, who was very humble, who loved his people more than his own self. And we have his very privileged and wealthy first cousin who wanted to eliminate their differences to elevate himself. And Korah's rebellion ends with this gruesome depiction of the earth swallowing them up whole. Now, if we read this fable or this story, um, like literally, or like as like a factual history, it's disturbing, um, no matter what they did. But I think if we, if we read uh, this as a, a tale or a fable, like one with a deeper moral to the story, this dramatic ending, it takes on an ironic um, or even a comedic element. So the humble leader Moses fell flat on his face to the earth. So I don't know if that was a lot. Um, but for the privileged and wealthy Korah, who would elevate himself to the highest position, his end is strikingly low. But um bump. <laughs> so the earth swallows their self-exaltation into the depths. Now, I, I think Korah's rebellion lands very close to home. So in this country, we're taught that all people are created equal. But we're also taught that if you only work hard enough and focus on yourself, then you can achieve personal greatness. I'm also feminist, um, like I said earlier, and I have joined in the struggle to end sexist oppression and, and, and this is in the hopes of ending all forms of oppression. I truly believe in equality, justice, and equal rights for all people. But when these ideals of equality are combined with self-promotion and a grasping for power at the expense of the least of these among us, society breaks down. So Cora's children, who are Korah's children? They are the composers of Psalm 42. They initially joined their father in his rebellion, but it says that they repented and separated from him. Jewish tradition teaches that they became a great lineage of prophets. Their ancestral line actually anointed King David through the prophet Samuel. And they prophesied about the coming Messiah and the Messianic era, an era when, when we believe God's presence will fully dwell with all of us, but especially the least of these on earth. Christians find this Messianic hope in Jesus, a descendant of King David. 
And we're taught that Jesus did not look to his own interests, but to the interests of others. As Hope read today in the verse from Philippians, it says that although he was in the likeness of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited or grasped, but emptied himself. So like Moses, Jesus was humble and cared for others. Therefore, God highly exalted him and his name. And we call him Emmanuel, God with us. So in Psalm 42, Korah's children affirm our deeply human desire to come and stand in the highest place, the Holy of Holies, to be in the presence of God, no matter who we are or where we come from. But just as the roaring applies to a lion, growling to a bear, lowing to an oxen, chirping to the birds, and as the deer's cry of longing applies to the voice of the deer, so our cry for God's presence, it comes from the very depths and the uniqueness of our soul. This is a celebration of our differences and the contributions of each voice to the song. The story, the story of Korah's rebellion teaches us to humbly put our hope in the power of God to uplift the humble and bring low the proud. Even as we trust that God hears the full chorus of our community, including that small, quiet voice of longing from deep within your own heart. So that's it. And I do want to thank you each for listening and being a part of this community. Um, we're going to move into a time of meditation as we do. So, um, so I want you to take this as a meditation time. Um, I'm going to read the whole of Psalm 42. Um, but I want you to try to use, as we do this, um, this time, I want you to use your imagination and try to hear, um, the words as if you were a descendant of Korah and of the Korah Heights. So imagine um, that your people served in the Holy of Holies and that you were initially on board with this rebellion, um, with promoting equality for the purposes of exalting yourself or himself. Instead, you separated from your ancestor and sometimes I think that's a healthy thing to do. Your people prophesied about peace on earth especially for the least of these. And now you're in exile from the sanctuary. You speak for those who are in exile from the sanctuary. And as the descendants of Korah, you put your hope not in self-promotion, but in a song, a psalm, where you've added your very own unique longing for God voice to the chorus. So settle in, um, take a deep breath, uh, release any like tension or, well actually just acknowledge the tension and then release it. Um, let's open our imaginations. Um, I've got my Robert Alter translation of Psalm 42. So some of the words might be different, which are great. It says to the lead player, a maskil for the Korah Heights. As a deer 
yearns for streams of water, so I yearn for you, O God. My whole being thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and see the presence of God? My tears became my bread day and night, as they said to me all day long, where is your God? These do I recall and pour out my heart. When I would step in the procession, when I would march to the house of God, to, with this, the sound of glad song and the celebrant throng, how bent my being, how you moan for me. Hope in God, for yet I will acclaim him for his rescuing presence. My God, my being is bent for my plight. Therefore, do I recall you from Jordan land, from the Hermans in Mount Mizar? Deep unto deep calls out at the sound of your channels. All your breakers and waves have surged over me. By day the Lord ordains his kindness and by night his song is with me. Prayer to the God of my life. I would say to the, to the God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why in gloom do I go hard pressed by the foe? With murder in my bones, my enemies revile me when they say to me all day long, where is your God? How bent my being, how you moan for me. Hope in God. For yet will I acclaim him or them, their rescuing presence and my God. Amen.